Well, happy Sabbath. We hope you didn't eat too much during your Thanksgiving break. And even if you did, we are hoping today that you will join us for a banquet. We're not going to eat tofurkey or mashed potatoes. Instead, we're going to have a conversation with the bread of life, the water that fills our heart and our souls and that feeds our body in order to give us a new insight into who God desires us to be. Like we do every Sabbath, we're going to start with a word of prayer, and I am extremely excited to talk about this idea of turning our hearts back to God. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, de we'll delve into it. Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for being a God who cares who cares about our mind, who cares about our body, who cares about our soul and our spirit, and who is calling us today to turn our hearts to you. We pray that you stay in our midst as we talk and that you give us the tools that we need to understand you just a, a little more. And we thank you for your presence here with us, for we pray in your name. Amen. Well, the conversation has been raging for about as long as there has been a church. Is faith a rational decision? Do we look at the evidence? Do we pile it up? Do we call our witnesses? Do we build a case? And then do we decide for Jesus? I mean, the famous book written by Lee Strobel seems to advocate this viewpoint as he pens a powerful case for Christ. Or is it a heart issue? Is faith emotive? Does it cause us to change the very core of our being? Is it an experience that draws upon sentiment and tears flowing? Is um, is that a moment, a moment where you feel warmth and transformation, and in that instant, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God is with you? Well, we've made this clear division between the heart and the mind, at least in the Western church. And today's lesson focuses on the book of Deuteronomy, particularly the fourth and fifth chapter. Now, just so you that you know where we are in our story, Deuteronomy 4 and 5 are the two passages that are sandwiched between probably the central part of the book as God deems important to give to his people, the Decalogue, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments that ought to rule life. But is following these commandments a heart issue or is it a brain issue? I think aptly the lesson today is entitled Turning Our Hearts. You need to understand something about the Jewish mindset. The Jews didn't understand anything about rationality as it pertained to the brain. No, for the Jews, the seat of conscious decision was the heart. It was the heart that drove ideas and also emotions. It was the heart 
that united this deep desire to know God and our impetus for feeling God. And so this dichotomy that exists in the Western church between the mind and the heart doesn't exist as the original writers of Scripture write, for it is simply a matter of the heart. Now, I want you to think with me about what the author of Deuteronomy is attempting to say as he turns to his people and writes in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. After you have children and grandchildren, and you have lived in the land a long time, if you then corrupt, become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing your anger, I will call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. In this day, and you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but you will certainly be destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which you cannot see, hear, eat, or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. You will seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then when you are in distress, and all these things have happened to you. The Lord your God will return to you if you are, and you will obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. So here God is getting ready to give Israel the Decalogue. And right before it, he says, by the way, if you become corrupt, then these things will befall you. I want you to just pause for a moment and consider how many times we live life based on an if-then, you know, cause and effect, as it were. Um, we like to live life like this because it makes life a bit more predictable. And so the question that the writer of Deuteronomy is trying to struggle with is what types of rules of life can we apply to our existence in order to make life a bit easier? This caused scholars to coin the term Deuteronomistic history. Try to say that three times really fast. Deuteronomistic history. In order to define a particular view of theology that is based on cause and effect. So if Israel does certain things, if Israel keeps their end of the covenant, then God will do things for them. And so you could measure at least if covenant was happening within the context of, Israel, of ancient Israel by simply looking around and noting a few things. How prosperous is the nation? How broad are its borders? How much are aliens and widows and orphans and poor being treated and cared for? Can you see the promise of ever-broadening peace? more fruitful crops, or is the danger and the threat of foreign armies ready to pounce upon the people of God a reality? You could have these visible markers to kind of 
measure where Israel's relationship with God was. Now, obviously, not all of Scripture is based on this deuteronomistic understanding of cause and effect. We understand that sometimes the if and then model falls short, which is why after God gives them this promise, this promise uh, that ends with an invitation to remember that God is a merciful God, God will deliver the Decalogue. But God delivers the Decalogue, and as, he, as soon as he is done, he gives us an epilogue. So you have the Decalogue in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments, and then the epilogue. Let me read the epilogue for you. And I want you to think about this Deuteronomistic history, this cause and effect rule, and then I want to uh, read our epilogue. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly. And there on the mountain, from out of the fire and the cloud and deep, the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, the Lord God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks to them. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire and has survived? Go near and listen to all that our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. And Moses replies, The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what these people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commandments always so that, they may, so that it may go well with them and their children forever. Go tell them. Return to your tents, but you stay with me so that I may give you all the commandments, decrees, and laws. You are to teach them to follow in the land that I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. So God gives 10 commandments and the people here. They hear the rumble and the thunder. They hear the voice of God, and they are afraid. And they ask Moses to draw closer to the mountain, to open his ear so that he may hear carefully what God has to say, so that he may linger in the presence of God. See, a lot of the times, we like rules. We like rules because we can measure them. We like rules because they're helpful. We like rules because they make life simpler. And Israel, the Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament, it has nothing against rules. But rules are empty unless they are accompanied with a capacity for lingering in the presence of God. Make no mistake about it, the reason why things go south for the people of God is because they fail to linger in God's presence. Now, now comes the part that you have to wrestle with. 
I'm sure. I'm sure you can repeat these 10 commandments. I'm sure you can ask yourself and, and you can answer rather rapidly how these commandments link with the needs of your heart and the expectations that you have. But God isn't after behavior, is he? God is after the heart. And so my question to you becomes this. How are you lingering in God's presence? How are you spending time with him? How, you are, how are you allowing him to engage in, again, what our friend Dallas Willard talks about as the transformational experience of abiding in the Trinitarian presence of God? The old Christians, upon reading the book of Deuteronomy, had this concept, and they called it their rule of life. By the way, this is what God is trying to do with the people of Israel. He is trying to give them a rule of life. And so, the the Ten Commandments become this rule by which they are to live life. But the early Christians realized very early on that a rule of life was useless if it wasn't accompanied by three things. And these are the things that I want to focus on. These are the things, the brick and mortar, if you will, that is going to build an effective rule of life that allows you not just to do what God would desire from you, but to linger in God's presence. So what are these three things? Well, first and foremost, you have your call. Israel had a clear and a concise call. This whole process of leaving Egypt and going to Cain, going to Canaan and receiving the Ten Commandments and going into the land and taking it over, this was not an end in itself. The purpose of them going into the land was for them to fulfill a call. And what was the call? Well, the call that God had extended to them was to be. If you're looking at the Abrahamic covenant, a blessing to all nations. If you're looking, if you're looking at the Sinaiic covenant, it was to become a priestly kingdom, a holy nation, and a chosen people. And in both cases, the purpose of priests and of people who are to bless other nations is to intercede. In other words, the call of Israel was to become a mediator between Yahweh and the world. This work of mediation was central to them possessing the land. And the problem sometimes with only focusing on the rules is that we forget that the rules are there as a result of our call. Sometimes we focus too much on the vessels, you know, these things that are important, and these things that are ornate, these things that are palpable and tactile, but but ultimately are things that have a different purpose. In other words, vessels carry the fluid within them, and it is the fluid that matters. In much the same way, the rules are simply an embodiment that facilitates our call. 
So the first question that you need to ask is, have you understood what God's call for your life is? And how do you define that call? How do you find that call? Well, here's the good news, my friend. God has given you already innate ability. He has touched your life. And he has, as the epistle of Peter will remind us, giving you everything you need for life and godliness. And so God has given you every single tool in the toolbox in order to fulfill the call. So if you're not sure about what God is calling you to, begin to ask yourself one question. What are you passionate about? Israel? Israel was passionate about was passionate about preaching the reality of a God who heard their cry. And if that reality was preached to the world, then the world would understand that God was not made of wood and stone, that God didn't need offerings and altars, that God responds always to our needs even before we cry out. That's the work of mediation. So Israel was passionate about this, God. My question to you is, what are you passionate about? That's how you find your call. Do you know your passion? Did something come up in your heart? Did something stir in your mind? All right. Well, keep that there. And then ask yourself the question, how does this passion interact or intercede with a deep felt need in the world? Where is it that there is a hole that your passion can plug? Oh, Israel knew about holes. The ancient Near East was populated by fickle gods that would rain chaos and destruction upon their followers at the slightest provocation. It is in this world, that, in, in this reality, that Israel gives us the idea of, as we read in Deuteronomy 4, a merciful and long-suffering God. So there's the call to preach the reality of a God who responds even before we answer with a need, a need for assurance and safety. And it is in this place where both passion and need collide that calling is found. So the first purpose and the first thing that you need for a rule of life is to understand your call. But sadly, that's not enough. Because often, oftentimes we are called to do a lot of things. Yeah, just in my life, I'm called to be a dad, a spouse, a pastor, a fan of a certain football team. Um, I'm called to be many, many, many things. So how do I decide what my priorities are? Well, once you've figured out your call, then you need to design the values that drive that call. In our church, our primary call is to grow disciples. You've probably seen that in all the literature that we put out. What are our values then? Well, our values are the ways in which we decide when competing calls, when competing things collide. How do we prioritize? And in our church, the way in which we prioritize growing disciples is through worship, service, Bible study, prayer, and community. 
These core values allow us to find clarity when different calls come knocking. And so the second thing you need in order to develop this rule of life that God is attempting to give not only the Israelites in Deuteronomy, but you, is to have a clear understanding of what your values are. At the core of your being, in your very heart, what are these things that are not negotiable? What are these things that are necessary? It's probably by answering that question that you can begin to design and decipher values. But values and clear values and a concise call is not enough. For the rule, for, for in order to develop a rule of life, you also need some certain vital behaviors. Now, vital behaviors are not things that you do simply because it's a fad or because they're easy or because you're being forced to do them. Vital behaviors are things you do because they open up ways in which your values become palpable. In our church, as we said, we have certain values. We value, for example, Bible study. And so we have, as part of our vital behavior, a commitment to study groups, groups that meet all during the week in our church, groups that are meeting in person today in our sanctuary, and of course, our time together here. This process of conversing together is a vital behavior that flourishes out of our values because we have a call. We have other vital behaviors. Today, we are celebrating our Thanksgiving Sabbath. And as part of the worship service, if you joined us, and if you haven't, I'm going to spoil you uh, spoil it for you, is our, is our request for financial help for our outreach ministry. This Sabbath is simply an outgrowth of this vital of this desire, this value to service. And so our behaviors uh, during our worship services where we highlight the ways in which our community is helped is again an outgrowth of these vital behaviors. And so you first develop your call. Then you think about values. And then those values give birth to certain vital behaviors that guide the rhythms of your life. And this, this equates to a rule of life. And that's ultimately what God is attempting to give the Israelites. He's given them a call. Go and serve as my mediators. Show the world what a relationship between you and I can look like. He's given them certain values. The value of monotheism and trust. The value of compassion and grace. And then, then he's giving them certain behaviors. Say no to idolatry. Be long-suffering. Be merciful. And it is when these three things coincide that we have our rule of life. And the Ten Commandments then, are God's gift, God's gift to hearts that, turn, that tend to turn away from the path in order to remind us that the life of a disciple is a disciplined life and that the only way to live this disciplined life is by instituting a rule for it, a rule that God captures magnificently 
in his Ten Commandments. And so, my dear friend, won't you turn today your heart, your heart to the God that has given you a call, to the God that wants to show you some values, and to the God that wants to help you enact some certain vital behaviors that you may have a rule of life that will allow your heart to turn towards him, the maker of heaven and earth. Stu, turn your heart today to Jesus. It sounds like a song, but it's a song that is birthed out of this idea of knowing who we are as a people, knowing who we are as individual, and then following this knowledge of who we are with certain behaviors that express clearly and concisely these ideas. Well, there's so many things when you're talking about that that really struck me because there's there's a call just in terms of clarity of God's expectations. Mm. But then also one of the things that's commonly heard, I, I you know, I teach, I know you teach, it's a common expression. It's like, it's not always direct, but often it is direct. It's like, don't know what my purpose in life is mm-hmm. or uh, just the success of the purpose-driven life, the book, you know, just across, is evidence that that's a pretty big thing. And I think particularly when we thought, think about being disciples and when we take about, talk about our values and behaviors, it is helpful to start with that call. Like, why is it, is our calling to behave correctly so we get the mansion in heaven? Is that mm. the calling? Mm. Mm, you know, that'll preach, Stu. <laughs> so we instinctively know that, you know, that 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 that's that's a problem. And I find it very helpful. Here's this situation in Deuteronomy where, you know, the people are basically coming to Moses. We're chicken. You go talk to him. <laughs> we don't know anybody that survives yeah. this. So you go. And if you don't make it, then we'll know, you know, and they go on to make a calf later on or whatever. But um, I think that's that's interesting because in that whole interchange, it seems as though, particularly as you take look at the scriptures and, and last week's lesson we talked about looking through the lens of Jesus, ultimately God is trying to take away that fear mm. that that mm-hmm. we we experience the fire and the voice mm-hmm. of God, all that kind of stuff. It's not a place of fear. Um, but that's what the reality uh, for them. So what when we we start with that call and and we're talking about Deuteronomy, kind of unpack for us a little more kind of what you think God's process is in helping us find mm-hmm. that call. Because the lesson is turn your heart. Um, you know, when we say call, you know, I'm doing what I shouldn't do. I'm asking a question, then I start commenting. No, 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 comment, but, comment. But, but, let, let, let me see. I think it's really important here that turn your heart. You got, so when we're talking about a call in our context, particularly a younger person, it's often a career, mm-hmm. um, which are all important things, you know, relationships, all this kind of stuff. It does seem to help focus us. When the call kind of starts with turn your heart, mm-hmm. it's kind of that seek ye first the kingdom of mm-hmm. God, all these other things. So kind of unpack us a little bit of 
finding that call. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. So Israel knew its call, right? It, Abraham receives the call, and the call is reiterated. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then they go into slavery, and it looks like their whole purpose in life has been wrong. Notice, though, that the call isn't external. Having the land, great as that is, having a descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven or the sands of the, of the sea, great as that is, that wasn't God's ultimate purpose. You know, God's ultimate purpose is never numeric. Um, I think that's something that we, we ought to remember, particularly in, in a number-driven culture. Um, God's ultimate purpose for us is internal. And so God wanted more than anything else for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joseph's descendants, Moses, and now Moses' people, to know who they were, to have a clear and concise idea of who they were. And time and time again, he, he calls them, and he kind of is hinting at this idea of, I want you to know who I am, whether you have land or no land, whether you go into slavery or don't go into slavery, whether you go into exile or don't go into exile. I want you to have a clear internal compass that defines who you are. We often don't do that. Because when I ask people, and like you've stated, who are you? You're typically going to give me in a response that centers around your career or your relationship status or your nationality. And it's all these external factors. That's not where we find the call. This, the call is this internal identity that God has placed upon your life. In Israel's case, it was your call. You are being called internally to be a blessing for other nations. To be a You are chosen. This is who you are at your core. You're chosen. You're a priest and you're holy. If you know what that is, then you can take that with you, Canaan or no Canaan, uh, Babylon, Persia, uh, under Roman occupation. Jesus, what strikes me time and time again about Jesus too, is that Jesus knew who he was. Jesus never allowed other people's expectations, other people's pressures, uh, other people's way of interpreting scripture to define who he was. Jesus knew his call. And so I think the first thing in, in developing this call is to turn your heart inwardly. You know, often we turn our hearts and we're always looking around, looking to, toward the next job, the next opportunity, the next relationship, the next, my next move. And, and it seems to me that a call is always found with, when we turn inward and we ask ourselves the really difficult question of, who has God created me to be? And in this search, uh, in, in this inward search, I think you're going to find one, uh, one of the things that you definitely define is you find your passions. What is God calling you to be passionate about? Typically, call is, is 
is closely related to something you're passionate about. And then God asks you, how does this passion plug a need that you have in the world out there? So after you've internalized, then you turn. So after you've turned your heart inward and you figured out who has God called me to be, then you look out and you say, ah, this is something that the world needs. And it is at that place where this internal search to, defer, to define who you are as a son or a daughter of God meets this external need that the world has, that's where, call, that's where calling is always found. Well, I, I think this is so vital, particularly in, in current society, in that there's such a vacuum in terms, there's so many things in our world that make us feel shame. Um, you know, even in, in the career space, you know, the earlier generations, there was more of a practical nature. Uh, I need to provide, I need mm -hmm. to work. And so there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't always the opportunity even to kind of say, well, I might want to do this, I might do that. It's just, you kind of just, this is what was in front of me. And where you, you read so many stories, particularly some of the people who are very financially successful, you know, it, it's interesting to hear their stories where um, there really wasn't a choice in it. Mm -hmm. It was just this a practice. I need to eat tomorrow <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do. And they just couldn't stay. So they didn't really have to stop and think mm -hmm. of a calling, if you will. And I, I think there's some strength in that in terms of they just, there's a practical reality. I, like I just worked hard and, and it kind of that whole American um, dream of you just work hard and you can do anything kind of thing. But I think we, we realize in America that there's a flaw in that mm -hmm. aspect in that you, you can work hard and reach a dream, but at what cost? Mm. Whereas if you start with a calling, and 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 deal with the heart it's it's kind of back to that seek ye first the kingdom of god mm -hmm. then it, it solves a lot because I, I would say i think it's important also to realize whether you believe in god or not whether you believe in satan and their sin or evil or whatever a natural law if you will is sin is harmful mm -hmm. And you can feel guilty and you don't even ever have to have had a thought about God. There are things that sin just damages us. So that means um, sin is rooted in selfishness. So you think about even in, in relationships that mean a lot to you, when you look at some of or most of the conflict, it's often in that space mm. where my identity, I, I, I feel undermined or mm -hmm. I would... And even if some of those things are legitimate, often where they go really south, if you're not comfortable with your idea, uh, ID, uh, identity, then they become very intensified and, and often detrimental because it's not a healthy conversation. Because, you know, certainly we'll say something that maybe don't mean to undermine, but then someone's reaction to that is just way over the top right, right, right. because they're so insecure of their identity, who they are. And you can just go on and on and people trying to find that, that perfect love. There's all these things that undermine it. If we could just step back and discover our calling. And, and I, it, 
something that's been so helpful to me is really internalizing this idea that God created me and died for me, regardless of whether mm-hmm. I believe in him or not. Like there was no, it, it wasn't conditional in the mm-hmm. sense of, okay, I'm going to die for you. So now you're mm-hmm. obligated to, mm-hmm. to accept this. It was just, I did it knowing a lot of you are not going to, I'm going to do it for as, as many people as possible. But, and so a lot of those things I have value just because I exist. Mm. And then when we slide into the, the beyond that, but I, I think this idea of calling, um, particularly in the context of where, when we look at the Deuteronomy experience in this whole mountain at the surface level, it, it just looks like that dominating classic God said, do this, or I'm going to burn you. I'm going to zap you. Cause I love even, you know, when Moses says, I, I show me and the words in that whole context where. I'm mean, just envisioning, you know, the the classic Hollywood lightning <laughs> and the heavy bass. It's thunder and earthquake, and you know we're all terrified. Loving mercy, justice, caring, grace. You know, that's what comes out of that, and it's a little hard to kind of put that together, right? But I, I think it's so important to calling, and then then that calling can drive those values. Mm-hmm. So unpack a little bit for us um, how the values work in shaping that rule of life. Mm, okay, that's a great question. So it, it's right there. I I think it's so, you know, we read a lot now of books on leadership, both uh, adaptive leadership or transformational leadership, which is all the rage. Um, both in churches and, and in the secular world. We read a lot of uh, internal family systems and just systems theory in general, which is all the rage in the psycho- uh, with uh, psychologists and psychotherapists. But you see a lot of those principles that it's taken us all this time to figure out right there in Scripture. The problem is that we always like to start with the palpable. That's why we like to start with the rules, because they're easy to identify. But if you think about just uh, an example from the corporate world, companies that start by telling you what they do usually are not companies that are transformational. The companies, and I know that um, that you love, uh, and you've referenced this book in the past that speaks about how Pixar has become, Creativity Inc. Yeah, yes, has become just such a center and a haven for creative thinking. Pixar doesn't tell you we're going to put a series of four movies that deal with this astronaut Toy Story for those of you who don't know, and this cowboy and these toys that come to life. Because if I tell my kid that that my kid's going to be petrified. <laughs> So truly transformational companies don't tell don't start by telling you what they do. They start by allowing you to dream. And so it's this idea of innocence and friendship and honesty and connection that shines through those movies, which uh, my boys have made me watch a gazillion times. Um, we do that though a lot with the Bible. So we start with the rules 
And, and we don't realize that the rules need to be undergirded by something that you don't see, which, it, which we are calling today a calling. Um, so you have your calling, whatever that, that might be. You have not the what you do, but the why you do it. And in God's case, the calling, like we said, is to be priests, holy nation, chosen, blessings to the rest of the world. And notice that both in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, the Decalogue is closely connected with ways in which we can achieve that calling. So how do we become holy and chosen people? Well, read commandments one through four. This is how you become chosen and holy. But you don't do these things in order to become chosen and holy. You do these things because your drive is to become chosen and holy. And the best way in which you can be effective in your chosenness and your holiness is commandments one through four. Now, how do you become a blessing to others? Well, commandments five through 10, right? And so you have kind of these, this decalogue, this rule of life being a direct result of this clear idea of why we have been called. Then you have these values. Now, how do you, how do you move from calling to values, which is, which is the question that, that I think you're, you're striving us to, to try to get at? Or simply the values are going to be these ideas that you and I as a community, as a cohort of people, prioritize. Um, so in our church, we value uh, our calling. We feel, again, our calling is, uh, you know, you're going to hear this again from us, growing disciples. And we believe that the best way of growing disciples is doing life together. And so in our staffs, do you know this? Every Tuesday morning, we read not just our calling, but our core values. How do we decide what to prioritize when we have competing ways of living out that calling? And one of our core, one of our values that we focus on, we have our values of worship, service, community, um, study. And we say these values are the best mechanisms by which we can achieve our calling of growing disciples. So can we, achieve, can we achieve our call of growing disciples by uh, reading books on spirituality? Yeah, probably. But in our church, we've decided that one of our core values is to invest ourselves in the study of Scripture. And so when we have to decide um, if we ought to preach a, a, a sermon series that is topical versus a sermon series that stems out of scripture and that is expository, our senior pastor time and time again chooses expository sermons. Why does he do that? Because it's birthed out of one of our values. Now, can we achieve uh, discipleship and can we grow in our understanding of God through topical sermons? Absolutely. But in our church, we believe in the, in the primacy of scripture. And so that's just a really quick example of how our calling of growing disciples leads then to a particular uh, value, which is uh, the study of Scripture, that is then lived out 
in a palpable way in, in our congregation. We are a church, after all, that prioritizes Bible-based expository sermons because we believe that that's the best way to live out our call, and that's consistent with our values. All right, I think it's really helpful to reference our 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 one of our core values in in discipleship, growing disciples. Because you're you're well aware there's kind of some tension of kind of what in the heck does that mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I, that's the reality of of life. It it isn't rules. It like you said in the very beginning, it's easy if it's just rules. But growing disciples is a very organic thing because it's involving people and everyone's different and have people are at different places in their journey with God. You can go on and on and on why it, it it's different. And it, this happens to be one of the reasons I love this book, because for those that don't know, it, it it's basically written that kind of tells the story that led up mm -hmm. to getting to Pixar. So there's a lot of tech stuff, which you could almost kind of say the rules, if you will. But then the premise was kind of like, how do you maintain creativity? In other words, individual Ed Catmull that wrote it or co-wrote it um, basically had a passion to use, wanted to create a movie from computers. And when you read the book and the primitive thing that he was dealing with at the very beginning, he really had felt a calling in that and stuck with it. And then when they finally had the success of Toy Story, he was kind of asking the question, so now what? I've spent a good chunk of my life. Now I've achieved it. Now what? And he was very inspired by, so how do we maintain this creativity? And there's so, and so it's kind of this juxtaposition of, of some really technical mm -hmm. kind of development that's kind of ones and zeros, which is the classic computer. So it's kind of defined right or wrong, right or right, whatever. In the midst of, of this creativity that's more abstract, why does it work? Right. How do we maintain this? How do we maintain the relationship in a company where we can keep mm -hmm. aspiring um, creativity? And it's quite interesting about um, equality in terms of avoiding the hierarchy, because one of the classic stories is they talk about they had this really fancy um, designer table and there was some circumstance, I don't remember what, where they had to meet in a different room and they realized how much more collaborative it was. Um, and then they realized what was happening by default is that because the table was so long mm. that the people most important kind of ended up closer to the center. And, and so then they changed, according to the, the book, they changed that. It was just an example of, of what also... They're talking about the ability to kind of be able to be honest and straightforward and frank and all this kind of stuff. So it goes on and on and on. But I, I think um, one of the things I, I heard you saying is our calling inspires our values. We're running out of time. I want to make sure we get the behavior, get to the behaviors, because I think even the order in which you gave them is really important because we tend to want to start with the behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it isn't rocket science if you focus on the behavior. And I particularly think about when I was raising my boys, I tried to make an effort of when I was asking them to do a certain thing, behave a certain way, we talked about the why of it. Mm -hmm. And um, not say it was perfect conversation on my part, but it, 
I, I think that's really important because when you focus on the behavior, which in one sense is actually the easy part in the sense that, oh, I should behave this way or this way. So one or the other. But if we go all the way to our calling, turning our hearts, then what's motivating us is coming from the heart. You made a great statement. I, I felt that, you know, God is focused on the heart, not the behavior. And, and Jesus makes all kinds of I think clear statements. He's more interested in the source right. of the behavior, which is the heart, yeah. and not the behavior itself. This is important because the behavior is more evidence of what's going on in the heart. So we've talked about calling values as we wrap it up. Just kind of summarize again what the role of those you feel have that leads to all the behavior and how the behavior kind of loops back into right. our calling. Yeah, so Stu, we're, we're just giving people an insight into, into kind of how we operate here as, as we're in this nitty gritty space that, that media has. Um, so you were talking a little bit about Creativity Inc. And what drove the change in the arrangement of seat was the calling. So the creativity drew, drove the way in which, in which they did business. I want you to think for a moment how we live that out in this church. And I think that's why um, as, as I read Deuteronomy, I, uh, it's a book about the art of discipleship to some degree. And I find so many touch points with our particular church community. So we've got our calling to grow disciples. We've got our core values. And those are, as we've said, for those of you who, who, who don't know, a worship, study, and prayer, uh, service, and community. But then we have some behaviors. And I know the behaviors that you uh, see at church, but I want to give you all an insight to something that we do every Tuesday for our staff meeting. Every Tuesday, we have a rule of life that we read out. And part of that is, what are these rules that are driven by these values that allow us to be more faithful to our call? And these behaviors are important because they give us kind of way markers uh, that allow uh, the fulfillment of our call to be simpler. And so we read it every day, right? Our covenant, which the pastoral staff has, and that is assume, assume each other's uh, best intentions, uh, solve problems at the lowest level, uh, balance truth and, and love. And so we have like the, the set of core rules that we try to live by that allowed the calling to be easier. But we didn't start uh, by saying, okay, guys, let's throw uh, up some rules that are going to kind of have us operate as, as, a, as a corporation here. We said, what's our call? And once we had defined that, we said, okay, what are our core values? And then we said, okay, well, how can we express these in our relationships with each other? And that's when our when our covenant and our rule of life kind of emerged. And so I, I think that the first thing that we do as the lesson I think so articulately has noted is we, we search inward and we ask, okay, God, what are you asking me to do? Who am I? What is my call? And then you're saying, okay, well, what values, what, what are the mark, what are the rubrics by which I follow this call? How do I prioritize things? And then you turn outwardly and you say, okay, how then 
do I behave in ways that make, that honor my values and that make my call easier to fulfill? And the problem sometimes occurs in faith and we get into so many trouble, so much trouble because we, we start backwards. We start by the... I should by do devotionals. I should read the Bible. Yeah. And those are all good things. Great things. things. They become stronger if they're inspired by calling and values. Exactly. Instead of having trying to have your call or your values uh, be fed by your behaviors, it is your calling, your values that inform your behaviors. Because that's how we end, for example, with idolatry. That's how you end with fanaticism. That's how you end with biblicism. If you're saying, hey, um, we, need, we, we need to read the Bible every day, which we should. And then you say, well, what is the value that, that I have from reading the Bible? Well, um, I believe that, um, that God wants me to read this book. And why does God want you to read this book? Because God wants my salvation to be contingent on the, on the book. You see, now the calling has changed because you've tried to construct your calling based on your behaviors rather than allow your behaviors to be an outflow of your calling. And again, people can kind of hear that and say, oh, well, they're diminishing the importance of Bible study. No, 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 no. Devotionals, you know, all of us probably can have some story where we were doing it backwards mm -hmm. and praise God, God's working on us that we're coming the other direction. But fundamentally, if we can be inspired by the calling, turning our hearts to God, trusting in God to inspire our values, that then transform into our behaviors that's where the burden becomes light um you know all that language where you know come unto me all you are heavy laden that's when because because it's not easy it's not. but one can have peace in in the difficulty because we know again deuteronomy is saying god is present I'm here. Yeah, I'm speaking. Absolutely. Stu, I think one last thing that I, 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 I completely echo what you're saying. I believe in the importance of rules. But I also believe that the church, the church of Christ became so incredibly attractional because when it started, it's not. By the way, nowhere in Acts are you going to say that are you going to see that they threw the Ten Commandments out and said we don't have any rules we can do whatever we want. Actually, Paul's pretty clear in speaking against that. that but their behaviors, their rule of life, which I would argue was much more difficult to follow than what we do. I mean, they were giving away all their money and et cetera, et cetera. So their behaviors were were far and above anything that I do. But their behaviors were informed by the call. And when you do that, what you invite people into is not a life of legalism. It's not a life of burden, but it's a life of freedom in Christ, a life where you can actually fulfill the call that he has placed upon your life. Amen. Once again. <laughs> and I think that's my cue to tell you, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving as you Turn your thoughts to the holiday season. May you develop a rule of life that is inspired by the call that Christ has placed upon it, that is coherent with the values that he has given you, and that is with rules that speak of a love and a grace and a mercy 
of a God who does all things when we turn our hearts to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for rules. We thank you for behaviors. We thank you for calling, and we thank you for values. We thank you because you have given us hearts that desire you. That, as Augustine says, move restlessly until we find rest in you. Thank you for giving us rest. We pray in your name. Amen. God, richly bless you.